1: Good day wherever you're listening from. Welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, May 30th, 2008. This week, episode 84 comes to you from beautiful and today sunny Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes a Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the wingman, Chris Boiselle. Good afternoon. At the controls. And the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, is here with us as well. Hey, good afternoon, Joe. Good. Pleasure to be here. Good to have you back, Cliff. Uh, actually, you were here last week. Was good I good to was have on you back. I'm <laughs> back. I don't know. I've been on the road too much. But it uh, looks like uh, we're going to have a good show today. We've got the Micro Band trivia question. Then we're going to have a round table. We've got uh, three people from within the different aspects of the industry we're going to talk a little bit about the state of the industry we've had a roundtable not long ago went really well we've got Jody Thomason from EMSL analytical Paul Cochran from Cochran and & Associates and shortly we should have Craig Camel from uh, Mold Diagnostics or Advanced Mold Diagnostics LLC on the line with us as well Craig is also our Philadelphia chapter uh, director for the Indoor Air Quality Association's Philadelphia chapter we um, will then come back at the end. I don't know if we'll have an actual round table, but midway through we're going to do an IE Connections What's News. We've got Mr. Glenn Fellman with us, and then we'll all get back together here and uh, continue to chew on the fat and do a little round table. We've been uh, working on the iaqradio.com website, been adding a blog every week. And before we get started, we've got to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com.
2: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions
1: and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water, damaged homes, and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractor shop at j-o-n-d-o-n.com. All right. To contact the show, you go to... Call 724-444-7444, our show ID is 1547, just press 1, and you can join the show, hit the number 1. Or you can stream the show through the internet with or without downloading the talk shoe software. If you download their software, you can text message in. You can also directly connect from the www.iaqradio.com website. We also appreciate suggestions, we answer questions and take requests if you email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com or cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. And you can also get IAQ Council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz after the show. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to send it over to Cliff for this week's microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
2: Unfortunately, we have no correct answers for last week's trivia question. Chris, what do you say? We give him a musical hint. I don't know. I
3: don't know. I don't know where I'm gonna
2: go when the girl- Okay, what we're looking for is a combination of words that stands for the combination of volcanic residue. Air and moisture. Okay, moving into the microband trivia question for Friday, May 30th, 2008. What device invented by Hutton and Rasmussen is used for whole air sampling? Back to you,
1: Joe. All right. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, let's. The only outstanding question right now, I believe, is last week's question. We've had uh, and this week's right, and now this week. So we've got two outstanding. And if Matt Frederickson's listening in, listening in, we still need your email or uh, your address, Matt. You get the ten lucky dollars for uh, mining a few old shows. All right. This week we're going to have a roundtable, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit with a couple of people that um, we've pulled together from within different segments of the industry. And I'm going to let uh, Cliff do the first introduction. Sure. Uh, With us
2: today, Joe, we have Paul Cochrane. Paul is founder and president of Cochrane & Associates, LLC. The company was developed with the goal of assisting companies involved with the indoor air
1: quality community, with building brand awareness, and their market penetration. All right. We're also going to have Craig Campbell on the phone in a moment. He's the founder of Advanced Mold Diagnostics, LLC. He has over 20 years of experience in the construction arena, 15 years of designing and implementing waterproofing and mold remediation solutions for commercial and residential buildings. He was also a pioneer in the use of mold detection dogs and is the director of the IAQA Philadelphia chapter. We're also going to have with us Mr. Jody Thomason.
2: Jody is currently employed by EMSL Analytical Inc. as the Director of Product Development. Mr. Thomason is tasked with researching and developing indoor environment quality equipment for one of the world's largest laboratory network systems, as well as various I.E.Q. equipment and product training programs. All right.
1: Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Let's unmute everybody. Well, let's do our uh, music. We have some music. Go, oh, yeah. always get All right let's go around the table. We're going to start with uh, Jody Thomason first and we're, we're going to ask all three of you a question and then uh, if Craig gets here in time we'll, we'll get Craig on but if not, we'll just move forward. Jody first, thanks and welcome uh, thanks for joining us and welcome to IAQ Radio. Thank you, Joe. Hey, Jody, you're out in the uh, Phoenix area still, and we tried to intentionally get people from you know one side of the you know west end, west end of the country, and then people who talk to a lot of people in the industry. And with your sales and marketing of different uh, types of equipment, you talk to a lot of people. What's the state of the industry right now? Well, let's talk indoor air quality in general. Well, I think what
4: we're seeing is um as a lot of the our current clients are. You know, they're kind of expanding their roles to include other items, you know, to do other, you know, work as far as, you know, not, not necessarily restricting themselves just to mold work now and then, you know, with the leads program and and other items coming on and, and looking at doing, you know, the other indoor air quality effects. Again, not just mold. They're looking at the whole parameter and the whole scoop of what could be issues in, in both home and commercial buildings.
1: All right. And do you, do you see the – do you think that mold is – died down from what people tell you or that there's just more people competing for uh... maybe a a pie that's getting a little bigger
4: i think it's a little bit of a combination of both uh... i think that you know before you know many many people were just going in that's all they were looking for, for with, with mold issues and, and other issues and what we're finding now is that you know there are there are other things they can look for you know formaldehydes i mean there's definitely some VOC issues and uh, a lot of the inspectors, you know, once again, they've expanded their, their vision of what they're looking for now. And I think that's, that's helped a lot of them. And I think it's, um, you know, in some instances, it hurt some of the others who keep, a, you know, just a streamlined look for one particular thing.
1: Sounds like a good trend.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, it is.
1: We're opening our eyes a little bit more. Well, let's move over to Paul. And, uh, Paul, I want to ask you the same question. What, what are your thoughts on the state of the industry?
3: You know, I
5: think it's really, it kind of varies um, partly on geography, and I think it partly varies right now on the scope of what certain companies are focusing on. Like Jody said, the guys that are out there and, and gals that are really kind of diversifying their scope of services um, in a lot of areas, they're doing fantastic. Um, Some of the folks that had so much of their work kind of based on property transactions, um, a lot of those guys are having difficulty right now, but not all of them. Some of them, again, who have really been good at at kind of getting the message out about what they do um, are doing just fine. But so it's really kind of hit or miss, and it really kind of depends on how diversified the companies are.
1: Can you give us some examples of areas where people are doing much better?
5: Um, Well, some of the the dealings I have uh, are kind of – through personal relationships that I have with folks or through business relationships. So it's kind of hard for me to say certain specifics. Okay. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the folks that right now are kind of broadening their scope that Jody mentioned it before, they're, you know there, kind of the green buildings, the energy savings, all those types of things, bringing that in and really getting that message out that that's part of what they do, um, you know, those folks seem to be doing very well.
1: All right, it looks like Craig Campbell's joined us. And, Craig, we already did an announcement for you and announced you would be on. Let's uh, get a sound check with you. Hello, Craig.
0: Hello, Joseph. How are you, my friend?
1: Excellent. And that sound is perfect. He's got the voice for radio. We might uh-huh. lose our job here. I don't I know, know, Craig. Uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I missed, I, I missed the, uh, the initial aspect. I believe they're recording it, so I'm sure I'll have the opportunity to listen to it. And I hope you really uh, sang my praises.
1: Oh of course. Of course. And we if you did. did I'll buy you a
2: drink uh, in Tampa. He a, he actually or said at least the first br- uh, He actually he said was- nicer things about the dog. <laughs> <actually>. <laughs>
0: Not surprising. He always gets center stage in my comment is usually uh, what am I chop liver? Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well Craig, we um we, we started going around the table. We had Jody Thomason and Paul Cochran answer this question. I'd like to Ask you the same question. What are your thoughts on the state of the industry, the indoor air quality industry?
0: I guess, and I apologize uh, for not hearing what what the other comments were made. So, if I'm redundant, uh, I, I apologize in advance. I think just it's going through a lot of changes. Uh, there's, it's it's constantly evolving. Um, I just you know, the things that are going on with the associations, the unification conference, uh, the conflict that. and and that's why I know Glenn's here, Um, the conflicts that have, you know, been uh, cropped up and mostly resolved the way I understand it, you know, probably a larger result of Glenn and his uh, staff and his his abilities. Um, What else? The um, perception of the public. I mean, it used to be years ago that mold was the big scary thing, and, you know, a lot of guys made a, a ton of money, you know, you know, capitalizing on that, there's been a paradigm shift, if that's the correct use of that word, in the public's perception. Um, there was a kind of a period there where, and some people still go back to it and say that uh, mold is the new asbestos. We hear that a lot from realtors, uh, and I think. And you just shut me up when 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 you want me to, Joe. I won't be offended.
1: Now you're doing great because you haven't really. You've hit a couple things that the other two guests didn't touch on, so I, I think this is excellent.
0: Okay, because I do love to hear myself speak. Okay. Um,
1: so you're so. what you're saying is that um, you focused a little more on industry changes, which was was different from what uh, Jody and Paul had, had talked about, um, and I think that was a good thing to focus on, and I think you also focused on another issue they didn't touch on, which is the public's perception. What... What do you think um, has caused that change in public perception? Are people more wary now? Or are, they more, uh, are they more educated?
0: Uh, both. Um, I think that they're less wary, actually. I think that combination of factors, the insurance companies dropping, and all of us here know, I don't know about your audience, but I would assume all of us here present today are aware of the changes that the insurance companies took, which was basically the you know, say, drop the, the you know, the, the coverage for mold. So that combined with, what other factors? There's there's other factors that it's not as prevalent in the media today as it once was.
1: Okay. All right, let's move on to the next question. Cliff, do you want to take this, or do you want me to keep rolling here?
2: Well, actually, I, I think I, I wanted to make a couple of comments on it. If, Please. If, if you'll permit me to. I think... Uh, One of the things that that I see, I I do technical support here, and I answer the phone, and I'm getting a lot more calls directly from the public, Uh, people asking can they do this mold remediation themselves. I think that the awareness is still there. However, I think based on limitations and the fact that either it's it's not an insured peril or there are limits on the amount of coverage that people have, there are a lot more people um, concerned about it, but I think there are a lot more people uh, that are doing it themselves. I think from the restoration perspective, I think that um, insurance companies have been pretty successful at driving prices down. And I think can I interrupt?
0: What, what do you mean by it? driving prices down for what for coverage?
2: No, driving prices down for contractors for doing the different phases of of, of works. So I think they're 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 trying to get contractors to do oh, more gotcha. work for for less money. Okay, got gotcha. you. Sorry to interrupt. And I think also there there are big issues within the restoration industry over what would be called steering, where insurance companies are directing policyholders. Uh, to their repair person. You know, I think they do it in the auto body industry. I think they do it in the auto glass industry, and now they do it in the restoration industry. And I think in certain situations they use some tactics that... I, I would just consider to be unsavory in, in terms of making the policyholder somehow think that they're going to get less work if they hire an independent or somehow that the insurance company's not going to warranty work done by an independent and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think there's big confusion. This is something that some of you are going to run into as well over the use of antimicrobials and whether or not we need a license or whether or not we don't. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of calls on that, and we, we talk to state agencies about it. And if I call the same state agency twice and I talk to two different people, I can get two different answers. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of scary in that if I try to get someone's name, like they won't give you their name. It's a little scary, but back to you, Joe.
1: All right. Cliff, you bring up some great points, and I I wanted to do this today. I wanted to get the perspective from the indoor air quality side of things, the disaster restoration side of things, and maybe I'll speak for a moment on the building science side of things because we do get quite a few building science people on the show and uh, listening. I guess what I've seen with respect to building science is that, you know, people are – very busy number one if they're if they're well versed in building science issues they are not seeing a drop off in business at this point they are um very busy although the the housing crunch has hurt them a little bit but uh most good building scientists i was with um andy osk last week and andy's you know he's he's a retirement age and uh He's busier than he's ever been in his life, and uh, it's because of his knowledge of building sciences. One thing I did notice in the presentations we did is the building owners are starting to become a little more aware of how important building science issues are and how important having a proper air barrier is. Uh, That's typically the most important barrier. And then they look at their insulation and they look at the moisture barrier or the vapor barrier after the air barrier, they're starting to understand that kind of progression of things. The other thing I see changing, and uh, it really hit me hard, two weeks ago Glenn made the announcement that Maryland has uh, you know, put together a regulation on licensing for mold contractors. Florida did the same uh, last year, I believe it was, Texas has one, Louisiana has one, none of them are the same. It's really going to be confusing for people down the road. So thought I'd put those comments in, and then what I'd like to do is go to Glenn for a moment and see if he had anything to add on that issue.
3: Sorry, Joe, you caught me off guard there for no, a minute.
1: No problem. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. um, I think that the Maryland law is going to have a, a lot of effect on, on the industry. I think it's something that um, a lot of other states are going to look at very closely. It's the first time that a state has relied so heavily on a voluntary industry certification but they did it in such a way that they've they've selected a certification entity that's third-party accredited, um, similarly to the American Industrial Hygiene Association or the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. I, I look at other states, at least in, in – you know, I live in Maryland. I've lived here my whole life, and, and so I kind of know the local politics. I can very easily envision some of the neighboring states, especially Delaware, District of Columbia, possibly even Virginia – you know, looking real closely at what Maryland's done and adopting a similar type of program. So you could be looking at a a scenario where, at least here in the Mid-Atlantic region, licensing of the remediation folks could begin moving pretty quickly. And I I think the assessment side of it would follow right afterwards um, very naturally. Uh, That will have a big effect on the marketplace. It'll take a lot of the, quote-unquote, fly-by-night players out of the marketplace It'll make it more competitive for the better companies. I think it'll allow the better companies to price their work, uh, you know, consistent with their costs, with the expectation of a reasonable profit. So I do think this regulation is going to be something that affects the industry. And it may be 10 years before we're talking about it, you know, being half the states. Um, you got to think about how these things work. Even the air conditioning contracting trade is not regulated in about half the states in this country. Anybody can do service work on an air conditioning system in about half the US states. I don't think mold remediation or mold assessments going to be regulated on a national basis, but I do believe it's it's conceivable to see 50% of our states regulating it in the next 10 years. Hopefully sooner.
1: All right. Hopefully. That was Craig's Craig's addition to that, and I know Cliff wanted to add something here. Yeah,
2: I think I wanted to add something what Glenn said. I I think that from an association standpoint, uh, this legislation, fear of this legislation uh, is great for associations because it's a, it's a compelling reason for people to become involved with an association such as IAQA or RIA, et cetera, because there's a comp- it's kind of like pest control. There's a compelling reason. For the people that do that work to be involved with an association because they have issues both at state levels and at federal levels and and so on and so forth, so I think uh, that's probably going to happen.
1: All right, well, let's go back. So,
4: so if I could add something Please do, a, a Jody. With those guys, what we're seeing is uh, too is, is is a good part about this is a lot of the. Uh, you know, people in the field now are seeking a lot more education. I, you know, I hate to be the master of the obvious, but we do see a lot of uh, of people. You know, because of this type uh, situations, seeking you know education, and I think a lot of that's helping people because they're becoming more diversified. As we were talking earlier about the state of you know state of industry.
1: You know, that's a that's a great point you bring up, and it kind of leads me into the the next thing I wanted to talk about. Unless Paul, did you have anything you wanted to add on that subject?
5: You know, I think everybody's covered it quite well.
1: Okay. Let me move on to another subject. I want to kind of rephrase the way I had it. I I was going to ask, is the competition getting desperate? But I I think I'd rather rephrase it. We've been seeing these um, news exposés, I guess, lately, and uh, most of them focus on mold remediation. But um we've been seeing where news stations are putting mascara or some other fake, you know, mold looking type substance on uh in a bathroom and then calling in remediation contractors to see, you know, how they would respond to that. Um it seems to me that that's there's there's a couple of issues there. Uh first of all, we don't know how they are talking to these contractors before they come out, but Jody, you really made me think of it when you talked about the education. Because the latest one I saw, each of the contractors that went in used the fact that we're now seeing a lot of education saying you really don't need to take samples. They used that to their benefit to discourage the homeowner from doing a further investigation and said, Look, you know, you can spend an extra $450 to do an investigation, but. If, it's seen, you know, if you see mold, it's moldy, we need to come in and clean it up. I'm just curious, if you guys, let's start with Jody. Have you seen that type of thing, and do you have any comments?
4: I actually, uh, I was at a, one of our chapter meetings here in Phoenix, and I actually spoke with one of the remediators. He was, well, I didn't speak, but he spoke to the group who was part of one of the exposés they did here in Phoenix. And I think a lot of times, um, as far as the whole exposé, we're not presented with all the questions or answers before before we get the uh, actual shot on the uh, 30 seconds of the news or the two minutes of the news. But I, I do see that a lot of these guys are, are, again, Joe, I agree with you, are using the uh, concept that, hey, if you see it, we can just fix it. Uh, but some of, once again, I think a lot of that applies to the educational side of it. Uh, a lot of them are seeking you know, extra education, not just you know let me take one class and I never need to take another class again. And I think that, you know, with our industry, it changes, you know, daily, you know, and, and I think you know, over the long period of time that these guys who seek further education are going to be, you know, I hate to say it, in some areas more reputable than some of the other other guys. I mean, I've I've been through this for the past, you know, eight, nine years, and you had some remediators who were bad asbestos remediators, and they just became bad mold remediators.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, Paul, anything you'd like to add?
4: Yeah, I, I guess, you know,
5: first of all, I think for all of us that are in this industry, you know, we always need to be on our toes because, and making sure that we're doing the best job that we can, because certainly these types of news stories, not only on a national basis, but also on a local or regional basis, particularly during sweeps weeks for the TV stations, you know, this is a hot topic for them to do, and it's a fairly easy scenario for them to set up. So, I mean, everybody needs to be on their toes and making sure that they're doing everything right and all and doing it right every single time, because you never know um, when you may be the... The person that shows up on TV a week from now, um, but you know, going back to whether you know to test or not, I think in a lot of situations, you know, the testing should still happen. Granted, testing doesn't always need to happen, but in most situations, it should. In my personal opinion, it should still be a part of the, the total equation.
1: All right, so let's get can... Craig's opinion on that. Um, rephrase the question, if you would, Joe, please. Well, we've been seeing these exposés, and um, okay. you know, we're talking about education. It seems to Got me it. that some people are using that education a little disingenuously. I guess if that's the right word, you know. <laughs> I Got mean, I, I agree with education. I, I provide it, but you know, it bothers me when they use it to kind of you know get get their foot in the door. Uh,
0: I agree, um, in, in, in mostly in and cont- in, in, uh, what was said. Um, there's so much you could say about that. The exposés, I agree, uh, that it's bad for our industry. We, we probably all get the same. We we'll all get the same Google news alerts when I see stuff like that. Uh, it troubles me a little bit, and it doesn't bother me too much because of the way I operate. And I don't mount, you know, sound like I'm off on a pulpit or something, but. A line that I have for my staff, a line that I tell my clients is that I live my life with integrity. Why would I operate my business any differently? So that's just, we don't worry about it. It was interesting, you know, and I apologize. I guess it was, I'm not sure, was that Cliff speaking or Jody? I'm not who made sure. The comment, who made the comment about being on your toes? Yeah, oh,
5: that okay. was that was Paul.
0: I'm that, sorry? That was Paul. Paul, I'm sorry. Again, I, I jumped into this thing late. So, if I, mis- I don't have someone's name correct, I apologize. Um, we just don't see that. You know, my staff, um, we, we, we we operate in a, in, a, in a good fashion, and I, and I think if you do, you operate your business with, with integrity, it's pretty easy to convey that. You end up attracting like-minded people, and I think your customers see that out there, but there is also the factor that there's a lot of unscrupulous people that are still out there. One of the... Part of the impetus for me uh, getting involved with the Philadelphia chapter of IAQA was just that. In that, you know, I was sincere when I said I, I, I would like to see the ethical, ethical level come up, the educational, you know, you know how much you know about this industry come up, and it was self-serving in one sense in that. I run into trouble or I run into difficulty at times in, in terms of competition, in terms of pricing. We do things a certain way and we like to think that we do them the best way possible, taking all things into consideration. It's not always following everything according to, to, the, oil. You also, you know, according to the book. You also have to take into consideration the financial consideration of the client. So we do things, like I said, in a fashion that I believe to be the best way possible. So if we go out and you take an example and I bid a job at say twenty five thousand dollars and all you guys I'm sure understand and have gone through this there, there might be guys who might be out there bidding the job at 20 or fifteen or thirty five or whatever but the ones that are bidding less than me we then have you know added work put on to us in order to try to point out the differences to our prospective clients sometimes we're successful sometimes we're not. So that's why it's self-serving in that I would like to bring the integrity level up. If the integrity level comes up, the educational level comes up, then we're all on a level playing field. And then I think the only factor that would be left would be, you know, what your perception of of, um, capitalism is and how much money do you want to make and do you need to make.
1: All right. Let's look like uh, Glenn Feldman. Let's get a last comment from you. Then we're going to go to your uh, Connections. What's news?
3: Okay, great. Well, my my comment on it is a couple things. First of all, the, the first expose of this type that we saw most recently happened in Las Vegas, and it was done by a CBS affiliate. Then it happened last week in Los Angeles by an NBC affiliate. It was virtually identical. They both had applied mascara to wallboard, brought in some remediators, et cetera, et cetera but it was two different news medias. so the comment that paul made earlier that you know we may be seeing this again and you better be careful i think he's dead on right um, we do have uh, sweeps coming up this is a very hot story and the news isn't gonna run the story if the molder mediators come in and do the right thing that's not a very interesting news story it's only interesting if they can catch the the, the molder mediators doing the wrong thing so they're going to look for them that way um, the second thing I wanted to comment and 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 i I've seen both exposes, and I have no question that the the contractors that they caught you know their their practices were highly questionable, but I also heard one of the reporters um, in the Los Angeles case um, one of the the, the producer who is pretending to be a homeowner say that they wipe the mold away and it comes right back and I also heard her say that she and people in her family get headaches um, when they're around that part of the house. So I wonder, you know, what, what kind of information did these remediators get? That, that's what I learned from listening to 30 seconds' worth of the news clip. Well, how much of a setup was it for these guys? Again, with their practices, no question about it, were highly, highly questionable. But um, I wonder on the news side whether they, there was a little bit of a setup there.
1: Yeah, so that
3: was my comment on that.
1: If I remember correctly, the first group, the remediators didn't fall for the you know, I I remember seeing one where the remediators actually, you know, said, you know, you might want to have this checked out a little bit further. Is that? Do you I recall think
3: that? That? Was, that was in the Las Vegas one. They weren't all bad. Yes. In okay. The Las Vegas ones. There were there were some of the ones that came in and said, you know, if you, you know, if this isn't mold. You should not have a problem. But I, I guess
0: it was a mixed bag.
1: Okay. Now somebody else wanted to comment. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I think that might have been me. I just wanted to say that I agree with Glenn that you, in a lot of situations, and in particular the one you're speaking of, you need to know all the facts. I mean, that I didn't think of that until you said it, but as soon as you said it, it made perfectly perfectly sense. I have, you know what, I might be setting off the car alarm.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, while you're checking that out, we're, we're going to go over to, um, here's the way I, I'd like to do the second half here. We're going to go to IE Connections, What's News with Glenn Fellman. Then we're going to come back. And we're going to throw out some words. Uh, Cliff's put a couple of words down here that we know all of you um, work with. We want to get into some more specifics about what each of you do. But first, let's go to IE Connections, What's News. Okay, Glenn Feldman, Leader of Men, what's happening? What's news?
3: All right, I've got three stories I'm going to cover today. The first one is one that you'll need to act fast on if you're going to act on it at all. Uh, The California Air Resources Board is seeking comments on their air cleaner rule. Now, as you may recall, the California Air Resources Board took action to remove ozone-producing air cleaners and similar types of devices out of the marketplace in California entirely. Well, they've got some rules that they want some comments on, and the comment period ends on Friday, June 6, 2008. You could Google it. Just Google CARB comments, air cleaner, those types of things. You'll find it. If you can't, you can email me, and I'd be happy to, to, to get you the link for it. Uh, There's another organization that's seeking comments, and this one has uh, implications nationwide, and I hope everybody will pay attention to it. The U.S. Green Building Council, or the USGBC, opened the first public comment period on LEED 2009. Now, that's the next uh, evolution of the LEED Green Building Certification System. LEED 2009 represents a reorganization, basically, of the existing LEED rating system for commercial buildings and it's combined with a series of major technical advances focused on improving energy efficiency, reducing carbon emissions, and addressing other environmental and human health outcomes. Comments on that are due June 22nd, so people who want to get involved should comment. Now here's why I'd like to see everybody get involved and comment. If you're familiar with how LEED works, you get points for your building based on a variety of different parameters. Well. The total number of points that you have to achieve to get uh, a certain level of certification has increased in a number of areas, except for indoor air quality. The indoor air quality part of it remains the same point value, but the point values for other things like energy efficiency and a and, and bunch of other areas have increased dramatically. So basically, the way it amounts now is uh, hypothetically, I guess, maybe it couldn't happen, but hypothetically, a building with really poor indoor air quality that met all of the other uh, requirements for LEED certification could become a LEED-certified building, as ironic as that sounds. So I know the Indoor Air Quality Association is preparing to put comments into U.S. Green Building Council, asking them to you know, beef up or, or make sure that the importance of indoor air quality doesn't get lost in their 2009 plan. And again, anyone who's interested in that, just go to USGBC org. It's the U.S. Green Building uh, Council, and you'll find it right up there on their homepage. You can download uh, the document, you can uh, put in your comments, and I hope that everybody will do that. The last thing that I have as a news item I want to talk about is an event that takes place week after next, and that's the IEQA 11th Annual Meeting and Exposition. It's June 12th to 14th in Tampa, Florida. If you haven't registered for the conference and you've got some interest in, t- in attending, you should. Uh, There's still plenty of time. IAQA is accepting registrations uh, all the way through the end of next week, as well as on-site. The final program is phenomenal. There's a uh, a workshop on home environmental assessments for the National Asthma Management Guidelines that will help people learn how to do um, assessments of people's homes for for asthma triggers, information that can then be relayed to a physician or an an allergist to help them uh, solve people's problems. There's just a a huge number of of, uh, presentations on the program covering everything from soups to nuts and into air quality. We've got EPA folks. We've got people from the state of Florida. We've got PhDs, CIEs, PEs. CIECs, you name it, they're all there. And um, you can see the program. Oh, the acronym, please. <laughs> yeah. Nailed me. Nailed me on that, huh? You got a big uh, You can see the full program at IAQA.org. Click the banner for the annual meeting and uh, download the attendee brochure. It's been recently updated to show the, the complete uh, program of events, hour by hour, uh, name by name, and it's a pretty impressive lineup. So I hope to see everybody out there week after next in Tampa, Florida.
1: All right. Thank you, Glenn. All right. For the second half here, I'm going to turn it over to Cliff, and uh, we're going to throw out some words that we're hoping we'll get some comments on. Um, Cliff?
2: Right. The the first word I'm going to throw out is is the word stucco, and what I'm going to do is we'll call on you one at a time, and I'll go first. And my comment to stucco is not on my house. Uh, uh, what
1: do you think, Joe? Well, I think I'd like to hear what Craig has to say on that. Okay, we'll go to Craig. Uh,
2: okay. Um, stucco. I dis-
0: I'm sorry? Stucco. <laughs> yes, I got it. Um, I would disagree because I'm actually in the process. I've, I've gotten a lot of experience over the past five years in stucco, and um, I'm about to build a house, and I'm not 100%, but I'm about 95% sure that that's the way I'll put That's what I use for an
1: exterior cladding system. You do a lot of investigation of these, you know, synthetic, and and I guess we should differentiate between uh, a synthetic stucco and and a traditional stucco product. But uh, you do a lot of investigation, and you're you're in an area that I've heard of as being one of the worst in the country for failures on synthetic stucco. Do you find, are you getting a lot of work doing that type of investigation, Craig?
0: Yes, a ton.
1: How do you what is the best technique in your arsenal for determining if there is a stucco synthetic stucco problem?
0: It's a combination, uh, and it's can, been constantly evolving, um, if you want me to give like the brief history of the background. Uh, we all know stucco is a spent product, product, um, and the problem is generally around the window and door openings. And it's the lack of flashing is what I'm seeing as a huge area. I've been very fortunate to have, you know, just met some people like you know, obviously the, the guru of building science is is George Keybrook, Dr. Steerook, and he was my mentor in, in, in terms of reading his books, and that's where I first started to learn. And it's constantly continuing to to evolve. So the way I started doing it was. Um, I would do what we call moisture mapping. I took advantage of a, a module, module, oh gosh, maybe four or five years ago that uh, IQA put on the, the national convention, and it was it was a long one, a two or three hour on moisture mapping. I just sat on the edge of my chair enthralled. It might have even been four hours. This guy was phenomenal. Actually, not four hours, but this guy was great, on how he does it. So what I did was I said, okay, the stucco is leaking. The initial way that people are doing this, and I have some interest, and in, we can talk later, maybe Glenn, or I'm not sure who the right individual to speak to about this. I'd like to start getting involved, if possible, in the ASTM standard writing. Uh, I've become friends with a gentleman by the name of Frank Hendren. as has a company in Delaware, called to his inspections. And he's done, he's taught me a lot, uh, and he's involved in the board. I don't know if any of you guys know him or not. So I'd like to get involved in that because the way I'm doing it is, Possibly a protocol that could be adopted or the existing protocol could be modified. and what concerns me a little bit is that in litigation right now it's possible that my protocol that I've been working with might not hold up in court because it's not an accepted ASTM standard if I'm speaking correctly.
1: Okay. Well, anything
0: I say that's incorrect. if anyone wants to correct me, I would appreciate it because you know I'd love to learn.
1: Could somebody so, jump in? Okay. Did somebody have a comment? Okay. Okay. I'm curious, are you using a combination of moisture meters, uh, thermal imaging? I know you have a mold dog. Are you using all of these things? Yes and yes. Okay. So it's a combination.
0: Yes and more, but I don't know if it's really relevant. Yes.
1: Okay. Let's see if anybody else has a comment on that issue. Let's go around the table. Jody?
4: Actually, uh, I live in a stucco home here in Phoenix as well, and uh, I actually was fortunate enough to have a leak, I guess. And I, uh, you know, what I found out is when I reported to my builder, you know, everybody pointed fingers. It was the stucco guy's problem. It was the fireplace guy's problem. It was the builder's problem. And so what I did was we all had a little get-together at my house, and we saturated the walls, and we used thermal imaging cameras and moisture meters, and we found the issues. And at that point, there was really not a lot of argument as to where the leaks were because we had the images we saved, and, and I, you know, like um, like we just, like Craig just brought up, I mean, my problem was flashing around a window, around a fireplace, and it was leaking uh, back behind the wall. But, you know, certainly Paul and I both live in uh, stucco homes here in Arizona, and, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, a lot of styrofoam and chicken wire, and we could hit a golf ball through it if we wouldn't hit a stud. Because, we don't, you know, the six inches of rain we get a year, we always pops up a leak somewhere here and there. But we do see a lot more of, you know, the moisture meter type thing in the thermal imaging cameras. how I found my issue in my house.
2: Okay. Cliff? I was going to ask Paul, you know, as a marketing guru, uh, what sort of opportunities do you think that might be there for a company uh, in dealing with stucco, Paul?
5: You know, there's certainly a great amount, but and I think it really goes kind of as far as what to do and where to do it, uh, kind of based on what geographical region you're in. You know, as Jody mentioned, I'm also in the greater Phoenix area here, which is, I believe, the fifth largest city in the U.S. And I would say probably as far as residential structures go, here 95% plus of them are stucco. It's just the standard style of, of homes that are built out here, and it's not so much an issue with synthetic stuccos out here as much as it is an issue with sloppy workmanship which is, you know, what basically is, is related to uh, Jody's personal situation there. Um, it was just poor workmanship. So, you know, I think in, there's some parts of the country, like like back east, where the synthetic stucco work is a huge deal. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal here in Phoenix. I think here it's much more of a sloppy workmanship dealing with stucco. But there's certainly opportunities.
1: All right. Cliff, let's throw out another word. Uh, green. Glenn, what's green mean to you?
2: Green? Um, Greenbacks, <laughs> all right. advertising income. Okay, That's, there you no, go. No,
3: really. Uh, I'll tell you. I, a green is. I have a pet peeve right now with the word green. I. I I'll tell you a little story. I got a press release uh, last week from a property, a hotel in Connecticut, that uh, had declared its greenness with a plaque on the wall uh, with the EPA logo because they bought all their energy from wind power. And I I talked to the the, uh, PR people. They wanted to know whether I wanted to do an interview with the GM of the hotel. And I said, I did. And they said, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I really don't want to talk about the wind power. I want to talk about what they're doing on the indoor environment. And I was declined an interview. Now... You know, the term green as being, um, you know, environmental, I recognize that it's primarily an outdoor term. We're talking about carbon emissions. We're talking about sustainability. I get it. But it's it's abused. And people use the term green for all kinds of purposes. It's losing its focus. Um, the public doesn't understand it. As a matter of fact, if you ask the public, uh, there was a recent poll that Refrigeration Magazine ran um, you know, you ask the public, what does the word sustainability mean? Something like 93% of people, but didn't really get the right definition on it. I don't even know that I could define it for you. So, um, green is hot, green is sexy, green is cool, but I don't really think we know what green means.
1: I like that. All right, that's a great comment. Let's throw out another word, and I'd, I'd like to throw this out to uh, Jody Thomason first Thermal imaging.
4: Probably the word I hear the most on a daily basis. Okay. Uh, it's probably right now the most sought-after tool in the market. Uh, there's there's just daily calls about it. You know, it's it's been a great tool. I can remember when I first did some of the first thermal imaging cameras that uh, we had in this type of industry. You know, cost was always an issue. It's thirteen thousand dollar camera to get started. Well, now you see them down around you know three grand or more. Um, my my issue with some of that is is I think that people are willing to spend, you know, they all think they need a $50,000 camera, but then they balk at a $1,500 training course. And I hate to beat the uh, training course, but what we're having is these guys are going out and they're, they're getting cameras and, you know, All of a sudden, they're an expert, and they're tearing somebody's wall open, and it's a bad insulation issue, and they just said everything was water. And again, the thermal camera isn't going to tell you anything about water. It's just going to tell you there's a temperature differential. It's up to you as a consultant to do the investigation and and prove what your images are showing you. Let
1: me ask a question, uh, Jody. How the hell? I, I mean, how are the prices coming down so dramatically? Are we getting less camera for the money, or is it just technology?
4: Well, I think a lot of it's technology, Joe. The nice thing is not only the price is coming down, but we're getting better features. I mean, there's a lot of cameras out now that's picture in picture. Um, you know I know initially when we sold some of the first cameras, they came with a very, very poor software package, and it was you know additional two, three thousand dollars to upgrade to a software package. So your software' is better, your reporting images are a lot better. Uh, I think Bang for the Buck is actually gotten better. And if I could add too, Jody, Please I think the economy scale
5: has just increased so much. I mean, it's become such a, a more common item out there now that, you know, that they're they're producing more of them, so costs have come down.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, before a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people use them as a differentiator. You know, hey, I can do this for you. But again, my concern is, you know. I, I, I do a lot of training courses across the country, and I see a lot of guys' images, and I see a lot of them, uh, you know, the educational level. And, again, it's it, it's not anything to swallow a, a $5,000 camera purchase, but then they balk at a $1500 course. And, and I just don't see how you can get the the most out of a piece of equipment and, again, make yourself, you know, not really an expert without even knowing what your camera is capable of or, or, you know, even the building sciences side. A lot of guys don't understand the building sciences, and they get a camera and, you know, in instances, they're instant experts. And thats I think that's really going to hurt us. I don't want to see it get as common as, you know, people just grabbing a moisture meter and going out and doing things. But it's certainly it's certainly great. I mean, we ran into instances in Florida after the hurricanes where people who bought cameras thought they could go in and see all kind of water. And what we had was temperature differentials were not even that much. where well, you couldn't see the moisture. And a lot of people are amazed to hear that, that you could have equalization in temperatures.
1: Now, Jody, real quick, I want to – move on to another subject, but before I do, if someone's looking for a camera, what are the key components to look for, the key uh, issues they should be investigating before, you know, putting their money into that type of purchase?
4: Again, I would look at resolution. Uh, some of the, the very, very inexpensive cameras now are like an 80 by 80 resolution, which is really a grainy image. And when I say resolution is what we can, you know, what the actual, you um, Sensors can detect a 160 by 120 is pretty common in ours, and we have a you know few individuals go to a 320 by 240 uh, imager um, temperature ranges. What are you going to be doing if you're going to be doing electrical components? A lot of times you need to look at the high temperature cameras. You know most of our cameras go to about 212 degrees in the building diagnostics uh, industry, and we're looking for more you know more or less a presence absence of moisture, but again. Look at resolution, look at software, and I mean, I know here at EMSL, I always I operate my division, and sometimes it's a bad thing, like it's a small business, and I always, you know, try to make sure I can, you know, perhaps let a guy borrow a camera, try it for a job, let him see what it's capable of, you know, not necessarily report the results because, again, they, they don't really know, it's the beginning, but I, I always fear buyer's remorse and, and, again, factoring in that training cost. Every course I teach, I say, you got to
0: factor in the training cost.
1: All right. Anybody else want to comment on the thermal imaging?
0: Absolutely, Joe. uh, Craig? I'd love to make some comments. Uh, Jody, I think, is right on the money with a lot of the technical things that he said. Um, I'd like to throw in a couple comments from the practical application of it in the field. Um, For the past couple years, I did not think that they would work. past two or three years, especially as I've become what I that are you know, somewhat of an expert, the building sciences or a disciple of the building sciences, and I'm trying to become an expert in the um, assessments because it's a huge market for me, and I, I put a lot of emphasis on it, I was always on the impression that they really wouldn't work that well from outside. Right? What I have discovered, and, and I want to comment on a couple of things that Jody said, cheap cameras with, with the grainy resolution, I would concur that they're not that great. I just purchased another one um, with the seventy-three thousand pixels, Um, and I think it's. Although expensive, I I, I wish I hadn't waited two or three years. I can give you the cost if if it's relevant. Um, You guys probably already know it. The comment that he made that Jody that that Jody made about the fifteen hundred dollars course is accurate. I I agree that people it's. Exactly that. They, they don't want to spend the money for the camera, or they will spend the money for the camera, but then they're reluctant to take the course. I actually... The course is actually seventeen fifty. I happened to purchase from a manu- uh, leading manufacturer, which I don't know if I'm supposed to ma- name or not. So That's I fine. I'm sorry.
1: No problem.
0: Uh, from FLIR. So on my end, they discounted $500. So I actually paid 12 50 for the course, level one tomography. It was good... an extent, but it was very limiting to me and my background because a lot of the focus is on the use in electrical applications, which is another thing that Jody touched on. Um, I signed up for the course in building sciences, which is very few and far in between, and from what my staff tell me, it was originally scheduled for June 3rd in Stevensville, Maryland. I was coordinating it with visiting some family has been canceled, the next one I think is in Utah in June, which I would go to. So you really need, you can't just take the camera out and think, you, you know, in five minutes that you're going to be adept at it. And that's exactly what I'm seeing, and it ties back in with what I said before. When I put a bid in, I think the example I used is 25000 because we're doing it right. There's other companies out there that, you know, will come with a cheaper bid, and then we have to educate the customer. It's the same thing with the, the use of the thermal imaging cameras. They ha- it's just a tool, just just like the t- the dog is a tool. The use of mold detection dogs is not the end all to be all. It's just another tool. I use him, yeah. uh, maybe thirty percent of the time, um, and even that's a problem because my time is limited. And I'm the only one that can can use him. So it's a, just another tool in in, in, in the um, another quiver in your in
2: your in your. Um, case of
1: carries hours. I think so Cliff has a follow-up on that with you, Craig, if you don't mind.
2: Craig, actually, I, I got a bunch of dog questions, actually. Uh, I guess, number one, when you invested in a dog, how much did it cost?
0: Okay, uh, and I think it actually has not raised uh, its $12,500 for
2: okay. the cost of the dog. Right, and, I, was, and I, I guess, do they have dogs that are cross-trained? You know, can you get a dog that does both mold and then could do termites as well for pest control or? I
0: think so. I'm not 100% positive that the gentleman that would be the, I think is one of the most knowledgeable about it. And the one to ask that question would be Bill Whitstein from molddog.com. That's who I bought from and I, he's a great guy, he's very knowledgeable. I'll say what I say uh, with all my mind, as I always do. He's, he's very knowledgeable. He's good. He's very difficult to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. So the support, and, and Bill, I love you. I'll see you in Tampa probably. We'll have dinner, but <laughs> you you know what I'm talking about. I, I wanted to buy another dog, and he hasn't returned my call in eight months. Okay. So I, I hope that doesn't kill his business, but there are other ancillary costs, and I would still try. I still think he's the best. There's cheaper guys out there. There's other guys out there. Training mold dogs at a cheaper price. I don't know them, but my gut instincts are that if you can deal with Bill, he's still the best. With that being said, there's also additional ancillary costs when you, when you purchase a dog, it's 12,500. You have to then have a week's worth of training so you have you know a flight, hotel and all the, and then the loss of being away from your business. And then that is just the beginning. That's just the beginning, and I say that you get the dog in a rough state somewhere between seven hundred and and one. I'm sorry, somewhere between seven hundred and a thousand hours worth of training. So The dog understands the concept, and obviously, some of these dogs are brighter than others. Some are better than others. Um, there is a lot of associated training that you need to do in order to bring them up to a better level. Meaning. I've estimated that I've put approximately 4,000 hours plus in training him. So there's a lot of ancillary costs.
1: Well, that's great. That's all good information for listeners because I, I, there's a lot of people out there, well, not a lot, but, you know, a few other people using mold dogs, and I don't think they quite have the passion for it that you do, and maybe they're giving uh, giving people like you a bad name when they're not, following up on the training etc so i'm glad we brought that topic up i have Thank one you. more one more question for paul then we're going to go around the table here and see if there's anything we have missed or anything that anyone would like to add so if you have anything you want to add please make a note now but i want to ask paul cochran how can ieq business owners make their company stick out from the crowd in a tough market
5: Thanks, Joe. You know, I, I think there's a lot of things that people can do. You know, I think you know, most of the companies that are in our industry here are kind of small to mid-sized companies. And a lot of them really, you know, they, they think they're doing marketing, but they're really doing a lot more sales than actual marketing. And there's so many things that can be done that don't necessarily take a lot of money or take a lot of time that can really get them a lot of exposure. Um, s- such things as, you know, as simple as uh, doing press releases. I mean, you can write a press release. You can distribute it for as low as $19.00. And that could potentially get you on a, a TV show down the road. Um, I did that for a former client of mine, and uh, next thing I knew, they had somebody on court TV that they flew out to New York from uh, out west here. So there's a lot of things that can be done that don't necessarily cost a lot of money. But you know, people got to put on their marketing hat, or they need to you know, look for people such as you know, myself that can help them out and do some of these things that aren't all that expensive to do. Because you know, it certainly is. It's a tough market out there, particularly in some parts of the country, and it is getting more and more competitive. So. Put on your marketing hat and see what kind of of unique things that you can do to get exposure.
1: All right, that's a great, great tip for listeners. Now, let's go around. We're going to do the roundup here.
2: Okay, Jody, we're going to go to you first. We have two questions we want to ask you. Number one, is there anything we missed that you would like to add? And then the second one is we just want your contact information for our guests.
4: Uh, I don't think there's anything we really missed. Uh, I, I did want to comment a little bit on uh, Craig's uh, comment on the educational side. I actually had the exact same experience as he did with the uh, level one training for cameras. But... Uh, and he will enjoy the building diagnostics course much better.
3: Thank you.
4: And also that uh, we are actually going to be, you know, as far as uh, one of my final comments would be, since we are all going to uh, the show down in uh, Tampa, EMSL will be giving away a thermal imaging camera at that show. <laughs> all
1: right.
2: So.
1: The, that's great. That's great.
2: Uh, Can I start talking do you, do you have to attend to be eligible?
1: To
4: <laughs> <laughs> you have to attend to be eligible. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, let's go to Craig. You sounded like you wanted to put in a final comment.
0: Oh, I just wanted to say that was a pretty clever uh, marketing plug, uh, and it's okay in my book. I mean, I'm certainly not running the show, but it's okay in my book because director of laboratory services. I hope I have his title correct. Jason Zabraniak is uh, on my board with me. National Director of Microbiology, and he is a fabulous asset, as a number of my other board members are. So it's okay that EMSL promotes himself. And I know that Joe and his dad will be uh, uh, soliciting me very heavy in Tampa, and that's okay. I can take it.
1: <laughs> that's uh, Joe, uh, not uh, Joe Hughes, uh, Frasca. Uh, Joe Frasca.
0: Correct. Yes.
1: Uh, okay. All right. Anything yeah. that we missed that you wanted to add, Craig?
0: Um, yeah, I, I've got a whole list of things. You just cut me off when I said enough. A, a note that I made was, uh, Joe, I agree with what you said about the building science guys are doing well myself because that's exactly what I did. I did not, I, from day one, I was fearful of just relying on mold assessments and or mold remediation in and of itself. And so I diversified. And markets have changed, like like the real estate transfer market has fallen off, and other things have picked up for me. Uh, So guys like myself who are, I don't know if it's proper for me to say that I have a building science background, although that is on my to-do list to go uh, finish my degree, and and that's what I'd like to get it in, building sciences. I also made a, a note here, Joe, I agree about the facility managers being more aware because we market, uh, Lucia Niemer, my marketing manager, um, that's one of her tasks, that she is involved in the organizations, which I think is what, CAI, and IFMA is another one, BOMA and some of the others, so we're marketing to them, and that's, I agree with you 100%, they are more aware, and guess what? It makes our job much easier when you're talking to someone who knows what they're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, Glenn's comments about and licensing, I'd love Glenn to, uh, if you you know, block off some time, I'd like to sit down and talk with you more about that. He, he mentioned the Delaware as a, as a possibility. Uh, obviously, I'm curious about PA in New Jersey. I'd love to see it, com- as I made the comment earlier, of 10 years. It, it would be nice if we saw it earlier because I think it's good for not just us because us means – financial remuneration and financial consideration for us, but also us means collectively the public. And we all, at least I do, and I'm sure you guys are the same mindset, we all want to do the right thing. We want to help the customers. I tell my clients it's not as bad as the media, I spend a lot of time, it's not as bad as the media portrays it to be. And I've got some funny stories about that if you'd like to, I can email and see it. We'll
1: have Uh, to bring you back for that one
0: okay yeah i listen I, I told you in the beginning, I love to talk, and you just need to shut me up <laughs> uh, Glenn, one more one more one more. Comment, uh, one more uh Glenn's comments you know are always great. He was one of my speakers at i think our initial workshop, and he just uh he's kind of a sleeper in my opinion you know he's he's a, he's a quiet uh diminutive type of guy, yet when he starts to talk, he doesn't talk in huge, in a high volume. But the power and the content of his message is 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 very loud.
1: Excellent, thank you, Craig. And let's go to Paul Cochran. See if you have anything to add.
5: Yeah, uh, just you know, a couple of things. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, thanks for having me on the show again. This has been great, and it's been great here, all, all the all the all experts here on the show talk about all these great topics. I did want to mention to the folks, uh, anyone listening here, that. If you happen to be at the Industrial Hygiene Conference uh, next week or at IEQA the following week, you know, I'd love to chat with anybody. I'll be working there with one of my good clients, uh, analytical Analyticals. So I'll be wearing one of their shirts and hanging out in their booth. So I'd love to, to chat with anybody that wants to talk some more about you know, marketing and what they can do right now to try to elevate their business. Um, and also, if I could put in a quick little plug for the M2 cassette, uh, I work with the folks over at Allegro Industries, and the M2 is basically a sport trap that has uh, two sample collection areas on one cassette. So you basically, for all these folks right now that are maybe have a slowdown in their business, you can get twice the sampling uh, on you know, per year cassette. So it's a great cost-saving device. And MSL and a couple other labs will be handing out some free ones at both of those upcoming conferences. So if you've never used one of those, you can get a free one if you come by the booth early. And Great. With, one final plug, if I may say, uh, also uh, another company I work with, Global Prevention Services, they are a gold sponsor at the upcoming IAQA conference, and they're going to have a you know big presence there. So I also invite everybody to stop by their booth as well to see what they've
1: been up to. And we're hoping to have them on as an example. I mean, we've, we've seen some of these big companies um, kind of, you know, go down and go down and under, and we're hoping to have them on on a future show where we talk about how some some big companies are doing just fine and, in fact, expanding. So thanks for bringing that up, Paul. You bet. All right, and uh, let's move on to Glenn.
3: All right, well, first I just stuck a pin in my head so I could deflate my ego from the last thing <laughs> Craig gave me. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate that. Um, a couple things I wanted to touch on. First of all, we, we spent a lot of time today talking about um, microbial sampling, and issues around microbials, there's going to be a great uh, debate on that uh, panel discussion at the IAQA convention. The panelists are Wayne Baker, Bob Krell, and Frank Dean, and if you know those guys they are not short on opinions. And um, So if you want to learn more about sampling and hear it from different perspectives, it's a place to go. Paul talked about um, how uh, people do sales instead of marketing and I think one of the biggest failures I see is, is simply implementation, and I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes you have the best ideas, and you, you have them in your head, or you even start to put them down on paper, but you just don't implement them. One of the things that Paul is outstanding at is the implementation. And I watched Paul uh, during the early part of his career with another uh, when he was with a, with a laboratory, um, and he was the implementer, and I, I got to know him and his colleagues there. Jody was there uh, pretty well, and, and that's what I always was heard about uh, Paul Cochran is, you know, Paul's a guy who you, you come up with a great idea, you put it in his hands, and he makes the idea happen. Well, most of the people I know in this industry, they don't have that much time. They've got reports to write. They've got investigations to do. They've got crews to lead. Uh, They don't have time to implement those great ideas. It's worthwhile to get a guy, Paul Cochran, or somebody like him who's in the the PR business, who knows how to do it, to implement these things. Because the the, the extra cost that you put in to to have someone implement your great ideas is going to have a huge return on investment. Last thing I have, and I'm sorry to take up so much time in the roundup, is that uh, the three gentlemen you have on your show today, I've known them all for a long time. They are some sort of the most giving people of their time and knowledge, and they're, and they're full of knowledge. Probably not full of time, but full of knowledge. So I encourage listeners, you know, if you have questions about equipment, about labs, about uh, mold, you know, call on these three guys. Send them an email. Give them a phone call. You'll be surprised how often they'll be glad to talk to you and share their knowledge. I've learned a lot from them over the years, and I'm sure you will, too.
1: Thank you, That's Glenn. It. All right. Well, let's be so people can call them if we could go around. Real quick, Jody, how do people contact you?
4: They can contact me uh, via my number at EMSL, which is 602-377-0008, or they can email me at the letter J and then my last name, Thomason, at EMSL.com.
1: Thank you, sir. Paul?
5: Yep, my direct phone number to Cochran and Associates is six zero two five one zero three one seven nine, or they can get that contact information off my website, which is www.cochranassociates.com, which is C O C H R A N E.
0: Yeah, keep muting me. And just keep muting Craig? me.
1: is that Craig? Great.
0: I'm not. I, Joe, are you ready for me? Please. <laughs> Um, my comp, well, the, I have a couple companies, but I guess the easiest would be that I'm most known by is Advanced Mold Diagnostics. The 800 number is 1-800-965-0889. And obviously, I guess people know my name is Craig, and my last name is Camel C-A-M-E-L. I have another company, Advanced Building Solutions, but uh, the website for Advanced Mold Diagnostics would be, and it's a little tricky. Is www.advancedmolddog.com and the problem that people have is sometimes they don't put the two D's in.
1: Uh, okay, gotcha. All right. <laughs> and it was and it was correct.
0: I, I, I love I love what I do. Um, I have a passion for it. Thank you for the compliment, uh, Glenn. Uh, I don't know who buys the first round now. Um, but I truly love this. is This is the culmination of my dream. I don't mean to be on so soapbox, but I always envied people who got paid, uh, who who got paid to, to to help people, like counselors and stuff like that. This is a culmination of my dream. I can't sleep at night. My employees think I'm nuts, but I'm just so pumped up all the time. I love what I do, and people are welcome to call, and uh, and I'll be happy to take the time because I like it.
1: Great. Well, thanks for joining us. I want to thank everyone that joined us for this week. Jody Thomason from EMSL Analytical, Paul Cochran from Cochran & Associates, Craig Campbell from uh, Mold Diagnostics, uh, LLC, and we also have Mr. Glenn Fellman for the IE Connections What's News. I want to thank Microband Systems, the microbial management company, at microbandsystems.com.
2: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com.
1: DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com.
2: And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractor shop at
1: j-o-n-d-o-n.com. All right. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, for helping out again this week. Always a pleasure, The Wingman, Chris Boisel, at the Controls. We missed our technical director this week, but hopefully he'll be back with us next week, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Most importantly, thanks to the growing group of loyal listeners out there. We uh, got a couple late people on, didn't get a chance to get you on the line. Please call back next week and join us again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
2: has been another IAQ Radio production.